to ask you to take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, please. Colossians chapter 4. Well, after, after a year and a half, at least a year and a half now, we are in the last chapter of Colossians. And some of you are going, it's about time. No, I, I hope you have benefited spiritually from our study in this book. And um, we're drawing things to a conclusion now, because that's what chapter 4 really is. It is Paul's conclusion, and he's going to bring some thoughts together for us. And really, our text today, specifically, I believe, in context, goes back to what we've been talking about just the past few weeks. Related to that phrase we see in verse number 17 in chapter 3, where whatsoever we do, we do all in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus. In other words, we are here to represent our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about different ways that that happens. We've been talking about how we represent Christ individually by our lives. We represent Him uh, with our families. And that's what we see in verses 18 down to verse number 21. So there are several different ways that we represent Christ. Also, we do so uh, where we work. And we see that beginning in chapter 3, verse 22, then I'm going down to chapter 4 and verse number 1. So Paul has been going through and explaining to us how we, in different areas of our life, represent or we are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ in these specific ways. By our lives as individuals, we represent Christ in our families, we represent Christ in our workplace. Now maybe as we've gone through those different ways that we represent our Lord, maybe as we've gone through those different principles that He gives us, your thought, maybe similar to mine, would be, but I just can't do that. That's hard. That's tough. How, how am I going to be effective in representing Christ? I mean, I know what I am. I know that I have seen and clay. I know that I am but dust. And by the way, God knows that too. I know my faults. I know my failures. I know, I know how I disappoint my Lord. So how can I be effective in representing our Lord Jesus Christ? How can I be a good ambassador? I think what we're going to talk about today is going to be vital, the key in helping us understand how we can be good ambassadors for our Lord Jesus. So, let me read our text. We are in Colossians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse number 2. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. We are praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father, I admit my complete inability to do what I'm doing right now. I admit, Father, that I cannot do this without you. And so I am trusting you to work on my behalf. I am begging you to do what I cannot do. I cannot make people understand. 
I can try to explain the word as best as I can. But there is an element of faith that I cannot give, and you are the only one who can. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would give understanding. I pray that by your Spirit, individuals would do individual business with God. There are some here today, Father, who may need to trust Christ as their personal Savior. I'm begging you, let today be the day that happens. There are some here who are unfamiliar with church and those kind of things. Lord, work in such a way. Turn the light on of their understanding. Father, there are some Christians here today who need to be more committed in, in our prayer lives. I know I do. And so work in all of our lives to bring about eternal change for us. And God, you have to do that. Help me to explain. Help me to preach and do for all of us what only you can do, God. And I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. The fact is, folks, without prayer, without prayer, we can do nothing of eternal value. Let me say that again. Without prayer, we can do nothing of eternal value. Now, there are times that we live the Christian life and do the things that are expected of Christian, God's children, just in the strength of our own flesh. But let me ask you this. What we do in our flesh, does it really have eternal value? I would say no. Now, it may be good things. It may be that we're really putting in the effort. But folks, without prayer, we can do nothing of eternal value. And yet to be such an invaluable resource of power and strength and grace, prayer is probably the most neglected area in the Christian life. How much time, and let me just ask it this way, how much time, and you don't have to answer me out loud, how much time did you spend in personal, private prayer just this week? As you go back and look from Sunday of last week until yesterday when we finished the week, how much time did you spend in personal, private Prayer. Now, I know it's an old statistic, and I'm afraid it would be even worse to go. But many years ago, this was back, I, even, I, I think it even goes back to the, either the early 90s or the late 80s, uh, an evangelist went into several large, fundamental, Bible-believing, good churches and asked one question. He was doing a survey. He asked one question. And the question was, how much time do you spend in personal, private prayer every day? After gathering all of that information and tabulating it all together and averaging it out, the average among church members in fundamental, Bible-believing, good churches across this country, the average time in a, excuse me, not just in a day, yes, it was a day, how much time in a day do you spend in prayer? Four minutes. 
four minutes. How much time do you spend on the phone every day? How much time do we spend on the internet every day? How much time do we spend in personal, private prayer every day? To be such an invaluable resource of of power and grace, prayer is probably the most neglected area in our walk with God. And is it any wonder then that our lives and our churches are so anemic, are, are so shallow in what we are accomplishing for our Lord. Were you at prayer meeting this last week? Now, I don't want to do anything just to create guilt. I don't want to say anything just to create guilt. And guilt is never a good motivation for doing anything for God, in my opinion. But if you were able to physically, if you were not providentially hindered, were you at prayer meeting on Wednesday? If our effectiveness as a Christian, if our effectiveness as a church were determined in direct ratio to our time spent in prayer, how effective would we be? According to our survey, we'd only be effective four minutes out of 24 hours. According to what I just asked you and what I asked you a little while ago, how much time did you spend in personal private prayer? How effective were you this last week in your walk with God? If there's a direct ratio of time spent in prayer to time being effective for Jesus. Representing Christ and reaching the world will live the gospel, which we are all commanded to do in one way or another can only be accomplished when we continue in prayer. Let's see what Paul is instructing in this passage. And that first phrase is very helpful. Let's say, let's talk about the practice of prayer. And that is represented in that word continue. The practice of prayer. We, um, some of us, uh, are really disappointed after yesterday's results in the World Cup, right? Some of you have no idea what I'm even talking about. Some of you are really still kind of encouraged because your team is still in it. Well, the U.S. is not. Okay? This past summer, I believe it was, or was it, two, it was 2008. Maybe it was 2000. I can't remember exactly. 2008. We watched the Summer Olympics as they took place in China. Some of us have a favorite sports team. Some of us, some of us uh, have musicians who are our mentors, heroes. We look up to, we follow their career, that kind of thing. 
considered how much time goes into preparing for an Olympic event, uh, a musical concert, do you ever consider how much practice goes into those people who seem to be able to do those things and make them look like you and I could do them? And we know we can't. I'm talking about practice time. I'm not just talking about practice before the big game. I'm talking about practice that goes back into childhood for some of these people and the, the years and the hours of, of accumulated practice time going into maybe just, just 30 seconds of competition. You understand that the Olympic Games really were, were thought up in ancient times and the Romans were the ones who, who really made those games famous. Uh, there were different, uh, what we would call Olympic Games in different parts of the Roman Empire. Those athletes were really serious about competition. Mainly because in some events like wrestling and boxing and, and others, if you lost, you died. So you want to win. And those athletes were willing to go through a rigorous training process and willing to do whatever they had to do to be the best in their particular work. I was reading one time about the fact that some of those athletes would go through surgery to remove what they thought were unimportant body parts. They would have their spleens removed. They would have different organs that they didn't think were necessary or that they thought would keep them from being as fast as they could be. They weighted them down so they wanted them. And, and of course you understand, no anesthesia. Alright? Why the right kind of surgery? In, in the last Summer Olympics, I was doing some research and found this to be fascinating. I know for some of you, you, you hunt and some of you bow hunt and, and um, archery, those kind of things interest. It does me, you know, that's my Robin Hood instinct. And uh, some of us enjoy those kind of things. I found this out about the Korean team. Um, the Korean team, by the way, dominated the archery events in Beijing, both the men and women. They won the competition of the team gold. Uh, they won three individual medals. They set five Olympic records. They set one world record while they were there. And it's no wonder, because they start when they're six years old. For the first year, they never touch a bow or an arrow. For the first year of their practice, they simply teach the child form. In other words, they show them how they are to stand. They show them how they are to hold the bow, but they're not, they're not holding it. They show them how they are to draw the string, even before they have one in their hands. And they spend a year doing that. At, that, at the end of that year, some of them are rejected because it's obvious to the trainers that they will not be able to continue on. Those who continue on in their training are finally given a bow and some arrows. 
when they saw them, they began shooting up to 1,000 bows or arrows a day. 1,000 a day. One of the men who, compete, who has competed in archery before said that he can shoot about 120 arrows an hour. So that means these seven-year-olds are shooting about ten hours a day when they're seven years old. And that continues into up to the point where they are actually competing. So what's my point? Well, other than just some interesting facts, my point is this. Do you practice prayer? Do you practice prayer? There's a point in all of our lives, I believe, where some of us, and that I believe continues on, but there's a point in some of our, some of our lives, and I will walk with God, where we would say something like this. I don't really know how to pray. Now, some of that is just simply your spiritual age. In other words, you haven't really been saved very long, and, and this whole new Christian believer, child of God walk is new to you, and you're learning. You know what? That's great. Some of us have been saved long enough that we ought to have plenty of practice in by now. So we still shouldn't be saying, I don't know how to pray. Essentially, what are you doing when you pray? You are simply talking to God. Now, I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to minimize the power, the awesomeness of the person we are talking to. But I do want you to understand, prayer is not magical. It's not for just an elite group of people who call themselves Christians. Prayer is talking to God. Every husband in this room knows what it is to practice talking to your wife. Now, you may not stand in front of a mirror and do it, but what you're doing is you're learning how to communicate with her. Sometimes you wonder if you ever completely get this done, right? But it's something that we're always supposed to be learning how to do. Husbands, love with your wives according to knowledge. In our walk with God, prayer is something that we are learning how to do, and it takes practice. The word continue in verse number 2 really has two ideas. It has the idea, first of all, of diligence. One of the one of the definitions of this term literally is to be busy. Continue. To be busy. Now everybody in this room can tell somebody else in this room what is keeping you busy in your life right now. Some of you would say, it's my children. Some of you would say, it's my job. Some of you would say, it's my internet. 
Some of you would say it's my hobby, whatever that might be for you. But every one of us in this room can say to someone else, tell someone else, what is keeping you busy. Has anyone ever said to you, or has anyone ever said, you know what keeps me busy? Praying. Probably not. I don't think I could say that. We should be busy talking to God. I don't want to give the devil credit for anything. But I have to hand it to him on this one. He has succeeded in making our lives so filled with busyness that we don't have time to pray. We don't have time to communicate with God. We are diligent doing good things, right things, things that if they are done for God, we could legitimately call worship. Your work could be called worship. Your interaction with your children can be called worship. It's service for God. It's part of your ministry. So it's not that we're doing wrong things that keep us busy. We're doing right things, but we are not doing the most important thing because we have so much to keep us busy. There's another definition to this term. Not only is the idea of the word continued diligence, it's also devotion. Devotion. Or persistence. I have talked to people, I have talked to people before who have said to me, Carrie, you know what, I tried having a regular time of prayer in my life, but I, I just couldn't keep it up. I tried, to, I tried to be able to have a regular time of prayer and reading the Bible, if you want to call it devotion. Devotions, that's fine. Some people do that. Some people call it God my time. I like to call it renewal time. But, but they, they said, you know what, I, I tried to have a regular time every day set aside that I just spent with God. And you know what? I, I just couldn't do it. You know what? I understand that. And I'm not even I'm not even necessarily talking about a specific time that we do this, although I would encourage you to have that. I am talking about simply having any kind of persistent, consistent prayer life. Are we devoted to prayer. Some have gotten discouraged about prayer, right? You got discouraged about your your devotional life, your time of prayer. Some are discouraged because let's put it this way. Unanswered prayer. Let me clarify what I mean by that. Our perspective is that our prayers have not been answered. 
And what we usually mean, or what we sometimes mean when we say my prayers have not been answered, what we sometimes mean by that is this, I didn't get what I asked for. Right? It didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. It hasn't happened yet. How many of you know the name George Mueller? Could you guess it means? few of us do. George Mueller, a saint of, of years past, ran several different orphanages in England. And he was the kind of man who knew how to pray. He knew how to pray. On one occasion, he was told by one of the workers in one of the orphanages, Mr. Mueller, we have nothing to feed the children for breakfast. Nothing. No bread. Nothing. And Mr. Mueller said, go about your business. God will provide. So Mr. Mueller goes and prays and asks God to provide blood for the children. And there's a knock on the door. That same man who had told Mr. Mueller about the need for blood answered the door. And there was at the door a man who was driving, uh, this was in the days of horses and buggies, who was driving a bread delivery buggy and one of the wheels had broken off and so he said to this worker, I can't make my deliveries, I've broken down right in front of the orphanage, do you need some bread? A.T. Pearson, who is a, another godly man of the past, was talking to Mr. Mueller later on in Mr. Mueller's life and, and just learning about some of the experiences that this dear saint of God had had. And in the course of that conversation, A.T. Pearson says, Mr. Mueller, are there any prayers that you have ever asked God or anything you've ever asked God and it hasn't been answered. He said, sure. Of course. Mr. Miller, yes, there are. He said, as a matter of fact, there are two men. And Mr. Miller said, I have been praying for these two men. And he gave years, months, and days. And it had been over 60 years. And when he gave the months and days that he had been praying for these two men to trust Christ as Savior. And they have not done so yet. Over 60 years. And again, he kept records so he knew how, down to the day how much time he'd spent praying for these two men. And Mr. Peer, Pastor Pearson said, Brother Miller, do you think God's going to answer that prayer? He said, of course he is. Why would he burden me to pray so long and so much if he wasn't intending to answer? Mr. Miller passed on into heaven. A.T. Pearson was speaking in a service telling, this was after Mueller's death, telling that story about that conversation. After that service, a lady came up to him and said, Mr. Pearson, Pastor Pearson, one of those men was my brother. He was saved three weeks after Pastor Mueller died, and he is now in heaven. The second man was saved in Dublin, Ireland after Mr. Mueller's death. 
some of us are discouraged because in our thinking God hasn't answered yet. Let me ask you this. Do you always give your children what they ask for? I hope not. Because sometimes our children are too young to understand what they're really asking about, right? You know that as parents. Right? You know what? Some of us, our spiritual maturity is not yet what it ought to be, so we can't understand all of God's working in our life. And we just can't figure out why God hasn't answered yet. Question. Can you trust your Heavenly Father. Can you? You know what? God may know it's best that you don't have what you're asking for. God may know it's best that you ask in a different way and He's going to start leading you to ask according to His will. So it's not that God says no. It's not that God says I'm not going to answer. It's that God says you don't know the whole story yet. Trust me. So some of us have trouble in devotion, persistence, and prayer because we're discouraged. Some of us, we're just... Tired. Some of us have given into the weariness of life, and we're letting other things, like sleep at times, take the place of prayer, like TV, like internet, whatever. You want to fill in there. You've gotten distracted from the most important part, a most important part of your walk with God, and that is a devotion to continue in prayer. Our time is gone this morning. Do you practice praying? Do you practice prayer? How much time this week did you practice? Are you frustrated about the apparent ineffectiveness of your Christian life? You wonder why you're not as excited about church. You wonder why you're not as excited about reading God's Word, communicating with God. You wonder why you just can't seem to get out of this fog in your walk with God. Let me ask you, does it have anything to do with prayer? Praying with prayer. Continue. Be diligent. Be devoted to prayer.
some of us in this room. Maybe we've tried prayer and we don't think God is listening. Let me encourage this. There's a man in the Bible whose name is Cornelius. He was a man who wanted God in his life. He was a man who wanted to have a relationship with God. But he really wasn't sure how to do that. And so he would pray and ask God to show him how he could have a relationship with him. You know what God did? God sent a preacher along named Peter. And Peter came to Cornelius and some of the other people that Cornelius, uh, who liked Cornelius, wanted to have a relationship with God. And so Peter explained to them what they needed to know. You know what they needed to know? They needed to know how to have a relationship with God. They needed to know that they were sinners who needed to pray and ask God to forgive their sins. They needed to become a part of the family of God. You see, now, I've heard people say before that God doesn't hear the prayers of unsaved people. Listen, he heard Cornelius. You know why? Because God was working in Cornelius' heart in such a way that he was drawing Cornelius to himself. I am convinced if you want a relationship with God, God started that work in your life. And he will hear when you ask, show me how to have that relationship. And you know what? That's why you're here today. Because he wants to show you. And you can have a relationship with God through Christ by understanding you're a sinner. Understanding that because of the fact that we're all sinners, we deserve to spend eternity separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. Horrible, horrible judgment for sin. But no one has to go to that place because Jesus died in our place. He died for us. He gave himself as as the sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice to God. Because you see, our sin is so offensive to God, it took judgment to pay for it. And God literally judged his son while he was dying on the cross for all of us. He judged my sin through Christ. In other words, Christ was punished in my place. And if I realize I'm a sinner and I realize I deserve to be punished for my sin, but I also see that Jesus and God loved me enough that that Jesus was willing to pay the price for my sin, I can come to God and say, God, please forgive me for being a sinner. Thank you for the sacrifice Christ made on my behalf. I accept that sacrifice. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. And then you will be a part of the family of God. And you can start this practice of praying. Let's bow our heads together, please, and close our eyes. Every head bowed, please, every eye closed.